morning. Please stand for the reading of the word. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? The Lord said, or, yes, right? What? Still asking? Okay. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, Jehu, and Elisha. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. This is the word of all uh, of the This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn there with me to 1 Kings uh, chapter 19, and uh, we're going to be looking there together this morning. I trust that um, God has already been good to you today. If you are thankful that you came this morning, say amen. God has been good. It's good to have our kids in the service with us, and uh, we're so grateful to have our families together this morning. And I know that God has a special, ha- had a special plan in this service today, and is already working that out, so we give him praise for that. Today we conclude our sermon series entitled Under Pressure. For the last few weeks, we've been uh, looking at that topic together, and so many have commented, uh, not just to myself, but to some of the other staff pastors, um, how God has worked through this series of messages. And aren't you glad that God knows just what we need and when we need it? If you're thankful for that, say amen just exactly what we need and so we praise the Lord for his timing in all of this we've looked at the uh, at the um, over the last few weeks at the importance of trusting God under pressure uh, of hearing God under pressure and and last week Pastor Travis shared about the importance of not giving up when we when we are under a great load a great pressure and today I want to talk to you about the importance of finding God's plan Um, under pressure. And we really pick right up where Pastor Travis um, left off last week here in 1 Kings 19. He shared the first part of the story, um, how Elijah had experienced great victory on Mount Carmel. And you know, if you haven't read that part of the story, I encourage you sometime this week or later today to kind of turn back and, and read through the story of Elijah and how God was with him. But we know that God was with him and there on Mount Carmel, great victory took place over the prophets of Baal and, and uh, how God displayed, come on the scene, displayed by fire, burnt up the sacrifice, just did some great things um, there uh, as Elijah had kind of prepared the way for God to work, walked in obedience to God. Uh, the prophets of Baal were put to death and, and God was lifted up and magnified. Isn't it great to watch God be lifted up and magnified? Amen. We've seen that, we've seen it in our lives, we've seen it in in the lives of others. In fact, you saw it this morning as we heard these videos of young people share about how God was lifted up and magnified in their lives. Can I just remind you, God is still doing that today if we have open hearts, amen? 
He's still doing it today, and we praise the Lord um, for that. Uh, but, but here they were. Um, uh, the, the prophets of Baal had been put to death. God was being magnified. And then evil queen Jezebel uh, told Elijah, in the next 24 hours, Elijah, in the next 24 hours, you can put this on your calendar. You can plan for it. I will see you dead. Can you imagine that? Pastor Travis talked to us about that last week. The pressure that Elijah would have been under. And so he runs away. Uh, he runs away and he's ready to give up under this great deal of pressure. But God was there under this pressure to provide for Elijah, to provide for him his presence. He didn't abandon him. Aren't you thankful that under the greatest pressures of our life, God does not abandon us? right? He never fails us. And Elijah experienced that as well. And instead, as Pastor Travis kind of ended his message last week, he talked about how God will give us strength when we're under this kind of pressure. And God gave Elijah, Elijah strength. And so Lane read for us this, this morning the rest of the story. Elijah finds himself a long way from home. A long way, when you really stop and think about it, not only was he a long way from home, but he was a long way from where he was supposed to be. He was a long way from where he was supposed to be. A long way from home, far from where God had called him to minister. And the journey was too much for him. He runs away, but God, even as he runs away, is faithful to speak. Aren't you thankful that when we're under pressure, maybe even finding ourselves a long way from where we're supposed to be, that God is faithful to speak. If you're thankful for that this morning, say amen. God is faithful to come to us right where we are, draw near to us and speak to us. I want you to see this morning that God speaks under pressure and the first thing he speaks, he actually asks a question. He asks Elijah this question, ready? What are you doing here? Look with me, verse nine. There he went, speaking of Elijah, went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Elijah, why are you on the sideline? Why have you run away? I ran across this in my study. The actual translation of these words, check this out. It, to me, it was just powerful. Here's the actual translation. What is there for you here, Elijah? What is there for you here? You've run away. You're away from where I've called you. You've come all this distance. What is there for you here? This morning, you might be here. You might be discouraged and feeling like the journey is too much, just like Elijah. And God has led you, and, and God has called you somewhere, but yet, because of the discouragement that you're, that you're under, maybe you're a long way from where you know God really wants you to be in relationship with him. And the question that God speaks to us this morning is, what is there for you here? What are you doing here? What is there for you here such a long way from where I want you to be? You know, sometimes we can intentionally uh, turn and run away from God and his plan for our life. And the reality is this, sometimes we can just drift a long way from God's plan for our life. If you know that to be true, say amen. Haven't we all experienced that slow drift, that slow fade away from where God, what God has for us? But the, the question remains the same. Regardless of how we got here, what is there for you here and the answer is simply this. In a lot of ways, nothing profitable, nothing real helpful, nothing that often will fulfill or uplift or encourage. In fact, what we run to might even be something that would bring us short-term pleasure or short-term relief from the pain and the pressure that we're under, but it doesn't take too long and we find out that there is absolutely nothing profitable profitable for us a long way from the plan that God has for us. If you believe that to be true, say amen this morning. You see, I can change jobs and try to find relief. I can change schools and try to find relief. I can change relationships. I can change churches. I can change who I put my trust in. I can change who I listen to. I can change a whole lot of things in my life. And don't get me wrong, sometimes some of those changes are necessary as God directs them. 
but a lot of times we're looking for short-term relief from the pressure that we're under. And when we change these things, we can find ourselves outside of the plan and the will that God has for us. And when that happens, I believe God comes to us with the same question, what is there for you here? I have a plan for your life. I have a design for you. I know exactly how I want to use you. I want to fill you with my spirit. I want to enable you. I've got a plan for you. And yet, Elijah, you're a long way from where I want you to be. And maybe God is speaking that to some of us today. So what happens a lot of times when we get there and God speaks this word to us? What happens? Well, I think a lot of times we respond like Elijah did. When we find ourselves a long way from where we're supposed to be, and God speaks to us and says, what is there for you here? Instead of directly answering that question, we try to avoid it. And the way we try to avoid it is by exaggerating the size of our problem. Have you ever called out to God and just like laid it on? I mean, laid it on to him. I mean, exaggerate it. Like, listen to what Elijah, Elijah says here. He says, I have, in verse 10, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Now, was there an element of truth to what Elijah said? Absolutely. There's a lot of true things there, Right? But there's also a lot of things where Elijah is saying, this is all happening to me and it's just too much. And in a lot of ways that was true. And in other ways, it was very much exaggerated. You see, he makes it look as though every last Jew in the kingdom has turned their back on God. We find out because God shares with him what later. That wasn't true at all, right? God, and we'll talk about that a little more, but God said, hey, there's 7,000 prophets that are still, that have helped us stay true. But Elijah felt like what? He was the only one left. And he felt like everybody was out to kill him, and while it was true that Jezebel was out to kill him, the whole nation hadn't turned against him. And while many in the nation were, were choosing to do evil, Again, there were many others who stayed true. Elijah was not alone. I wonder this morning, have you ever heard of this term? This is new to me, so you may have heard, heard it, and, and I'm just late in the game. Have you heard of the term catastrophizing? You heard of that? Some of you are shaking your head, yeah? The term catastrophizing. If you haven't heard, I want to teach you today because I just learned it. So here it is, catastrophizing. Always assuming the worst case scenario, turning little problems into big ones. Now, I know none of you would ever do that, right? Some of you are laughing, some of you are turning to your neighbor. Be careful doing that, by the way. Pointing fingers, right? Assuming the worst case scenario. It's kind of like this. This morning, on your, on your way to church, you heard a little noise in your car. Just a little noise. I don't know what that is. My car, you know, I look down, the check engine light is not on, but all of a sudden, I'm convinced it's coming on. So instead of watching the road, I'm watching the dash, just waiting, because I know I heard a noise, so the check engine light's gonna come on, and if the check engine light comes on, I mean, let's face it, my car's not paid for. And if I have to take this to a shop, I mean, it could be really bad. I mean, it might be the engine or the transmission or both. And if it's both, like, I can't afford to pay for that. I'm just telling you, I can't afford to pay for that. And I owe the car payment, and now I'm gonna have to pay for this car, and all of a sudden, I don't know what I'm gonna do, right? And you know what's gonna happen? They're gonna come repossess this car. I mean, it's no good anyway, so they might as well come get it. But if they come repossess it, then you know what could happen, right? I mean, they could come and, and take me to court. And if they take me to court, I might go to jail. And if I might go to jail, would my kids come visit me? Now, we laugh at that, but am I too far off? You see, a lot of times we can begin to exaggerate the size of the problem. The pressures come on and we do it. We do it with things like that. We do it with relationships. We do it with our health. You ever do it with your health? A little pain in my side, a little headache, looking a little funny. And the next thing you know, this can happen. Watch. Oh, hi, B. So you're all Doc Andrews. Good. Everything all right? Mm-hmm. I told him how I was feeling. The aches, the pains, the tiredness, the dizziness, everything. And what do you think he said? What? 
We're no spring chickens anymore. <laughs> but you're all right. Yes, for someone who's no longer a spring chicken. <laughs> talk themselves into anything, can't they? <laughs> sure can. <laughs> they just let their imaginations run away with them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh. Hey, Barn. Hmm? How long has it been since you had a checkup? Me? Are you kidding? What do I need a checkup for? I feel fine. Good. <laughs> Why'd you ask that? Why? When did I have a checkup? Oh, I don't know. I just think everybody ought to have a checkup every now and then. You've been looking a little pale, too. Maybe, maybe you're tired or it's lack of sleep or... Huh? Feel tired. Good. I look pale to you, huh? <laughs> yeah, look a little pale. Eyes look a little funny, and uh, hmm. and what? What else? What? <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. You just look a little. Um, hmm. <laughs> oh, there's probably nothing though. You know, I do look pale. My eyes look funny. Oh, I wouldn't worry about it. You know, it wouldn't hurt to have Doc Andrews take a look at me. I've been having these palpitations. I didn't tell you about that. I woke up just this morning. And... Sarah, get me Doc Andrews, will you? And hurry, Sarah, it's an emergency. Stick with me, will you, Andrews? Right to the end, buddy. <laughs> catastrophizing all right get the picture it's an important reminder for us that a lot of times think about this with me a lot of times we allow the enemy to convince us that things are much worse than they are much more impossible right much more impossible than what even God could do to step in and help us and we spiral very quickly into thinking that the situation that we're under that we're under with so much pressure on us is an impossible situation and we find ourselves without hope right all because we've allowed our minds to take us places that God never wanted us to go and when we buy the lie not only does our mind go there but we find ourselves before too long spiritually beginning to drift to places where we feel like God himself is not even able to help us and provide God may be asking you the question today what are you doing here you're a long way from where I intend what are you doing here what is there here what is there for you here? And you can come up with all kinds of reasons and excuses, and you can create the problem to be incredibly big, but can I just remind you today that no matter how big the problem or situation is, our God is bigger and able. And there's always hope when we put our trust in God. The reality is we've probably spent a lot of time focusing on the opposition. Elijah had too. His focus right now is on Jezebel, her threat, what had happened to him, and not on the God he serves. And yet God reminds him, there's nothing helpful for you here, Elijah. But not only does he, does he whisper that to him, not only does he tell Elijah that, but I want you to see the next thing he tells Elijah. The next thing he says is, stand in my presence. Verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Where was God when Elijah was a long way from where he was supposed to be? Right there with him. 
right there with him. You see, God had walked every step of the way with Elijah. Can I just remind you this morning that God, when God says, I will never leave you or forsake you, that he means it? Can I just tell you that when we're a long way from where we're supposed to be, that while we may have left God's plan and we might, may not be walking in the center of his will, God is right there beside us calling us back to him. And aren't you thankful for the gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit who never lets us go? I was reading uh, a, a promise this week, and it's interesting to me that uh, so often God chooses to use verses of scripture um, in different translations of the Bible to come alive afresh to me, and maybe you've experienced that. I was reading in the New American Standard um, Version this week, Psalm 46.1. It's a great and favorite promise of mine, but I read it in this version, and it really helped me. I want to share it with you. It says, God is our refuge and strength. He is abundantly able to help in tight places. He's our refuge and our strength. The NIV says a very present help in trouble. I like how it ends. A very, uh, God is abundantly available to help in tight places. Elijah was in a tight place, but God was right there with him, abundantly able to make a difference in the situation. And God chooses to put his power on display in front of Elijah, right? I mean, he chooses just to show Elijah who, who he is. We see the, the wind and the earthquake and the fire, this reminder that God is almighty and all-powerful and more than able to do anything. If you believe that you serve a God today that's almighty and all-powerful and more than able to do anything, say amen. I mean, come on, right? Like God was saying, Elijah, I want you to see that there is nothing that I can't do. God had the power to judge the world right there. Can I just tell you? God had the power to take care of old Jezebel. That wasn't an issue, right? He had the power to do whatever he needed or wanted to do. In fact, part of Elijah's frustration in this moment is that it appears to him that the enemy is winning. It appears to Elijah that the enemy is winning, and that God is not stepping in the way that Elijah thinks he should. I wonder, did that ever happen to you, or is it just me? Does it ever appear to you in the situations that maybe have pressure in your life, does it ever appear to you that the enemy is winning, ever? Like always, almost, right? Do you ever get frustrated because you know that God has the power to do it, and yet he doesn't do it? That's where Elijah was. He was frustrated because he knew that God wasn't stepping in the way that he should. God, why don't you come and judge over this? God, why don't you step in and take care of this once and for all? The earthquake, the wind, the fire, it all proves, God, that you're more than able to work. And the reminder is God had just worked through the fire. He sent the fire I mean, burn up the sacrifice, licked up the water on Mount Carmel. I mean, just did amazing, amazing things. He just worked through the fire. But notice what the Word tells us this morning. God was not in any of those things. He wasn't going to come the way Elijah wanted to and judge Israel or Jezebel at this time. But notice how he comes. He comes in a gentle whisper. He comes as a gentle God to meet the need Elijah had. He was calling Elijah close. And God revealed himself to Elijah as a merciful and as a gracious God. I don't know about you this morning, but I am so thankful for the mercy and the grace of our God. He is gracious. He is merciful he is abounding in love. The Bible tells us he's slow to anger. Aren't you thankful for all those things? Like, I don't know about you, but when it comes to me, I'm thankful our God is slow to anger. Aren't you? See, we want a God that's quick to anger when it's somebody else, but slow to anger when it's us. He loves you this morning. He's a God of mercy and a God of grace slow to anger, and he was going to wrong the rights. I mean, God, God's going to take care of that. He's trying to tell Elijah, you have to trust me. 
You have to trust me to take care of those things out there. And in the meantime, Elijah, I want to take care of you. You see, we have to trust God enough to know that he's not blind to what's happening to us or what's happening around us. But he loves us so much that he is aware of all that's going on when we're under all of this load and all of this pressure. And what he cares about the most when all of this is happening. He cares about the situations. He cares about the hardships. He cares about the Jezebels and all of those things. But can I tell you what he cares about the most? He cares about you. He cares about you. And he comes to Elijah in this gentle whisper, this gentle voice. And he says, just come stand in my presence. Oh, can we just catch a glimpse for a second of what it means to stand in the presence of a God who loves and cares for us so very much. Can I just tell you this morning that what we need more than anything else is not judgment, is not vengeance, is not for God to right the wrongs, is not for God to do whatever we think that we need him to do. What we need more than anything else today is to make our way into the presence of the almighty God. And I love, the, I love the words, this, this song came to my mind, this old hymn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. All of the battles, all of the pressure, all of the stuff, when we get into the presence of God, all of those things dim in the, catch it, in the light of his glory and his grace. Oh, that his glory and grace would shine brightly into our lives today. God, help me to get into your presence. I don't have the time to tell you this morning all of the, all of the ways that I've experienced that or the backstory to a lot of what I want to tell you today, but I can tell you that 11 months in to my first ministry assignment, I was a part-time children's pastor 11 months into that, I was working part-time there. I was working full-time in a factory. I was going to school. A lot of pressure on me with the kid, with our own family, trying to raise them. And the pressure was on. I'd been calling out to God for some changes to take place, and nothing was happening. In fact, it seemed as if things were getting worse. Plug your situation into that. We've all been there. And I will never forget. I don't remember much because I wasn't there all that much, but we lived in a small apartment in Plainfield, Indiana, and all I remember about that apartment um, is this, really this instance and one other. I was laying in bed one night with all of this pressure on, and I was calling out to God. And it was like the Lord spoke to me, and I got up out of bed and I went to the bathroom. There was no, I mean, it was a little two-bedroom apartment. I mean, there was no space in that place. I went to the bathroom, I closed the door, I got down on the floor of the bathroom. And I found my way to the presence of God. That's been over 22 years ago today. I can tell you, anytime I think about it, I'm reminded of the fact that God's presence is real, and in his presence is his glory and his grace. And I can tell you that by the end of that night that nothing had changed about the situation. In fact, it would be another month or two before things began to turn. But I can tell you that night that everything changed about me. And in the glory and the grace of God, in the presence of God, he began to whisper truth into my life. And when I left that bathroom that night, I'm telling you what, I'd been in God's presence. I was a different person. God reassigned me. He redirected me. I was a long way from where I know that I should be inside spiritually. I was wrestling. I was complaining. I was griping. I was moaning. Not that any of you ever have done that. And God came in such a sweet way and transformed me. Elijah made his way to God's presence. And you know what? Travis said it last week. You read about Elijah's life. I mean, this is kind of one blip on the screen that reminds us that Elijah had feelings and was really human, right? You know? I mean, he had done some incredible things. But here's a spot where we get a, the curtain comes back and we see that he struggled too. And he makes his way, and God calls out to him, and he stands in his, his presence. And then I, I want you to hear, as Elijah's there in his presence, God speaks. Now, I want you to hear this this morning. Here's what God speaks to him. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. We're going to talk more about that, but hear this. Go back 
the way you came. In other words, get back to work, Elijah. You've been in my presence. Oh, how wonderful it was. It had to have been for him. Now, Elijah, get back to work. Get back to my plan for you. You see, God was not done with Elijah. Aren't you glad that when we have these detours in our life, we find ourselves a long way from where God wants us? He is not finished with us yet. And everybody said, amen. Thank you, Lord, right? Thank you, Lord. God could have judged Elijah right there, right? He could have judged him, but he doesn't. He reaches out to him in mercy and grace. God had a plan, and God has a plan for you. If you've walked away, if you've, if you've drifted away from God's plan, if the journey's been too hard, if you've grown weary and you've grown discouraged, make your way into the presence of God today and hear his voice whisper to you, I have a plan and a purpose for you. I want you to know this morning that regardless of what the enemy has tried to tell you, God is not angry with you. God is not frustrated with you. He's not exasperated by what you've done. I want you to know this morning that he stands with arms wide open, as we talked about last week, in love, desiring for you to just turn your heart back to him. He wants you to show, he wants to show you the plan that he has for you. For Elijah, he begins to lay that plan out. We, we see it there in the latter part of verse 15. When you, when you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram, also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel, anoint Elisha son of, of, of Shaphat from um, Abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Haziel and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of, Jeh- of Jehu. In other words, in other words, God is saying, listen to me, Elisha, Elijah, listen to me. Here's what he's saying. My judgment's gonna come. Like, I'm gonna take care of this, Elijah. Like, I've got a plan. I'm gonna take care of all this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to strengthen and mentor those who are coming after you and leave the rest to me. I want you to strengthen and mentor those who are coming after you and leave the rest to me. And, re, and, re, and he reminds him that regardless of what the enemy's told you, you're not alone. He goes on in the next verse to say, I reserve 7,000, right, whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and who, whose, whose mouths have not kissed him. God was in control. God had a plan. Elijah, I'm going to be with you. I've taken care of Israel. I've got other, I've got other kings that I'm going to have you anoint. I've got a prophet to step up. Like, I've got a plan, Elijah. And here's the great part about the plan. It involves you. Like, you have a part in this master plan, Elijah. I want you to prepare the next generation to hear and obey my word. Can I just tell you this this morning? Hear me today if you haven't heard anything else that I said this morning. I want you to hear this. Every single one of us, every one of us this morning, part of God's plan for you is to equip the next generation spiritually. I got one amen. Hear me this morning. Part of God's plan for you is to equip the next generation spiritually. And I I want to tell you, it's, it's probably the most important part of God's plan for you. We need to stop taking this part of God's call in our lives lightly. Elijah had complained that the previous generation had failed. If you look at what Elijah said had happened, that's what he's saying. The previous gener- the generation before me has failed, and as I look around me, the generation come after me has failed. That's what he's calling out to God. And God turns him around and he sends him back and he sends him with the, with the calling, with the plan. I want you to help prepare the generation that's coming after you. Can I just tell you today that we can, we can look around. We, here's a choice we can make. Is this a choice? We can look around us today and we, complain, we can complain about the generation that, 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 we, that we have inherited from, right? The generation that is prepared. We can complain they didn't get it right. And we can turn around and we can look at the generation behind us and we can say, oh, this world, I'm telling you what, I mean, it's just going to be terrible. Can you imagine what it's going to be like in 20 years? I mean, or we can say, God, I put all, I put all that I think and, and understand and see, I put that in your hands. Here's what I want to hear. 
I want to get in your presence, and I want to know what's my part to play in helping to equip the next generation. You see, if we begin to pray, God, help me, and I'm, and I'm not talking about just wait until we're older or more mature in our life. Can I just remind you today, we only have to be one step ahead of another person spiritually to be able to pour into their life, and everybody said, hear me this morning, it's so important that we begin to capture this and pray about it and ask God, how can you use me to make a difference? You see, it's all about these relationships, We often get sidetracked, we get distracted, we lose focus, we get drifted out here a long way from where God wants us to be. Can I tell you today, if you're not pouring into someone else's life spiritually, God wants to use you in that way. See, I'm not trying to condemn you this morning, I'm just saying this is an area that I'm convinced is a part of God's plan for all of us. We need to be pouring into the life of the next generation, actively involved in making a difference. In the early 1970s, I was born. That's not what I want to tell you. In the early 1970s, there's a basketball player that I've read about, that I don't remember, but I've read a lot about, by the name of Pistol Pete Maravich. Anybody remember Pistol Pete? You've probably heard the name if you don't really know the story. I want to share with you just a little of the story. He burst on the scene in the early 1970s, was the, probably the most uh, prolific scorer in all of college uh, hoops history. He averaged more than 40 points a game um, throughout his college career and had several games where he scored more than 60 points. And it wasn't just his shooting that turned Maravich into an incredible basketball player while his shooting was inc- incredible, right? But he had developed his ball-handling skills to a level that was unprecedented, Nobody ever handled the ball the way that Pistol Pete handled the ball. He he changed the way basketball was played because of the way that he began to develop the fundamentals and develop himself to to, to handle the ball. In fact, nationwide, young players began to pattern themselves after Pistol Pete because of the way he was handling the ball. And most of the moves that we see today that are just standard in the way we watch the game being played, you can rewind the clock and you can point right back to Pistol Pete Maravich. But it wasn't Pete who changed the game. As amazing as he was, it wasn't Pete that changed the game. It was his dad. Anybody know his dad's name? I didn't either. Press Maravich. Press Maravich. He was a former semi-pro player and, and then went into coaching as his profession. And when Pete was just a little boy, Press began to work with Pete and tell him, Pete, you can change the game. If you'll begin to, to, to play this way, if you'll develop these fundamentals, if you'll begin to handle the ball like this, if you'll shoot the ball like this, you can change the game. And his dad would coach him and encourage him and mentor him all the way up through. He was, and his dad was his college coach. All the way through, he coached him. He encouraged him. He mentored him to take the game to a higher level than ever before. It was Press's dream that the game be changed. And you see a picture of of them here behind me today. Pete Maravich goes down as one of the great innovators in basketball history. And his legacy is the direct result of his father's influence and example and encouragement. Isn't that something? What What an amazing story. Can I just tell you this morning that each one of us will leave a legacy to those who come up behind us? You realize that? Every one of us. We're going to leave a legacy. And we can make an impact on our circle of influence that far surpasses the incredible things that Press and and, and Pistol Pete did. Far surpasses it. You know why? Because what we can do will matter for all eternity. You see, a lot of these things, they're just short term. They only matter for just a little while, but the way that we mentor, the way that we train up our kids, the way that we teach them will make a difference for all time. God has a plan that includes you making a difference in the lives of those that come behind you. Can Can I just paint you one more quick picture? Elijah He returned. He went back just like God told him to. If you read the rest of Elijah's story, he was obedient to what God asked him to do. He anoints Elisha. 
to be the next prophet. Can I tell you what Elijah did for the rest of his life? He mentored Elisha. Do you know where Elisha was and Elijah, do you know where they were when Elijah was taken to heaven? Listen to this. In 2 Kings chapter 2, listen to this passage. As they were walking along and talking together, Elijah and Elisha, as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared, took Elijah onto heaven. Where was Elijah until the day he died? Did you catch it? Walking alongside of Elisha, talking and sharing and mentoring and encouraging and pouring his life into the life of another. I have to remind you today, we are not here. We're not here this morning because we've flown solo. You're not here today just because you figured it out. You're here today. You stand on the shoulders of somebody. You're here today because somebody made a difference in your life. You're here today because somebody sacrificed, because somebody laid down what they wanted and they said, you know what? I'll teach a kid's Sunday school class. Aren't you th- if you're thankful today for somebody who's taught your Sunday school class through the years, say amen. Do you know that they sacrificed to do that? Do you know that that was part of God's plan and they poured in to you because they were being obedient to God? Can I tell you today that that some of you are here today because you had parents who made decisions and choices consistent with God's plan for your life. They sacrificed, they laid other things aside, and they said, for some of you, the most important thing to me, the most important thing to me is that my kids come to know and understand the will of God and do it. Some of you are here today because somebody across the aisle one day chose to come up to you and begin to talk to you and build a relationship with you and make a difference in you. I want to ask you again, if you're thankful for those people, say amen. And here's the thing. This is what's so awesome. Different names and faces and people came to every single one of our minds. Oh, there might be one or two that made a difference on a larger group of people, but for most of us, it's a different person. Can I just tell you today, God wants to use you to pour into the next generation. That is part of his plan for us universally. How he does that is going to look different in every one of our lives. But we need to be praying, God, how would you use me? I wonder this morning, who's your Elisha? Who's your Elisha? Who's that person for you? That's the prayer that we need to pray. Today, under the pressure, here's the deal. Under the pressure that we find ourselves in today, we gotta get back in the game, all right? We gotta get back in the game. We gotta find our way into God's presence. We have to pray that God would come in a fresh way, right? And then lead us to serve and to love and to give. It's important for us to see this. Jezebel outlived Elijah. Jezebel outlived him. In other words, Jezebel was still alive when Elijah went back, still alive when Elijah was mentoring Elisha. The pressure was probably still there. It probably, we know the way the enemy works, right? He probably brought it up to his mind. But Elijah went back, got back in the game, under the pressure he was under, because God transformed him. It's never going to be perfect. And here's the deal. A lot of times what we do is we say, well, when things get better, I'm going to plug back in. You know, when I get through this season, I'm going, to pl- I'm going to do better with my kids. I'm going, to, I'm going to teach that class. I'm going to do what God wants me to do when things get better. Can I just tell you today, you're going to have good days, but I'm telling you, it's never going to get to the place where we're going to go, oh, today's the day. My life is perfect. So you know what we have to do. We've got to surrender that stuff and say, God, would you just use me? Would you just help me? Would you just give me strength? Here's how we're going to close this morning. This morning we're going to close with prayer. We're going to close with prayer for our kids. Aren't you thankful for our kids? A lot of our youngsters are here today. I'm looking back, and we've got some of our preschoolers coming in to join us for prayer time, and they're walking in now. And uh, I'm just going to have them keep walking.
keep right on walking. Bring them on in. I want our elementary age um, and, and, and teens and college age, all of our students, if you'd come forward, and families. So if you have a student here, I want you to connect with your students, uh, with your kids. So parents, if you'd gather around them, stand. Everybody just stand. It'll make it easier. Let's just all stand. I want our, our, our kids to come, and, and I want parents to connect first. And then, church, what I want us to do, if I want to ask you this question. If you'll commit to praying for our families across this school year, church, if you'll commit to pray for these families you see gathered, would you say amen? Let's do, it, let's do a little better than that. Would you say amen if you'll pray? Amen. Now, church family, let's all gather in. Let's gather in around them. I want you just to find, a, find some kids and family and whatever, and I want them to feel your support this morning. So gather in here around us close. And Pastor CJ, in just a second, he's going to start our prayer. Come on, in, come on down the aisle there. Would you do that for me? Let's, that way, he's going to give people behind you a chance. Fill in this spot right here. Uh, Amanda, if you could you just come right around the front there and fill this. I guess Amanda and Amanda. Yeah, if you guys could just fill in there. And everybody behind him, just pull on down. We want to get you in close here this morning. Pastor CJ is going to start. He's going to pray for our preschool and elementary age kids. Pastor Travis is going to pray for our young people and college age. And then I'm going to close with a prayer for us, that God would help us to be what we need to be. Um, I'm thankful today that God cares about these moments, aren't you? He cares about these moments. And I believe that even right now, if we'll open our heart to him as we close, if we'll open our heart to him, that he may lay a family on our heart. He may lay a child on our heart. He may lay a person across the aisle on our heart to begin to talk to and build a relationship with. So let's open, have our hearts open to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Pastor CJ, let's bow our heads in prayer. Pastor CJ, would you start for us, please? Father God, we come before you this morning, Father. Father, we want to take just a few moments to pray for our children, Lord. Father, as school starts back and as Summer comes to an end, Father. We thank you for the opportunities that they will have to go into their classroom and to further their knowledge and to learn, Father. Father, while some of them are going to new schools, some of them are going to school for the first time, Father, and some are returning to those old familiar places, Father. Father, we pray that you would go before them, that you would reach out to them and speak to them, Father, that they could go back into their schools and that they could be a shining light to their friends, Father. Father, both their old friends and their new friends, Father, we just pray that you would help them to be an influence, to change the world, Father. And Father, help us to be that influence for them as well. Father, I just thank you and praise you for all that you've done. Thank you for these children, Father. Father, bless them and watch over them. Father, we ask this in your name. Lord, uh, as we come before you and we think about our youth, Lord, I'm just lifting up now, thinking of our junior hires and high schoolers, God, and Lord, um, I'm so thankful for the ways I've seen you work in their lives over this summer, God, at camp and at NYC and in our services, Lord, and fresh commitments made for you, uh, Lord, and the reality is, as they walk back into school, there's going to be some temptations and struggles and trials. Some of them have already expressed this to me, that, that there's some things they've got to deal with when they get back to school. So, Lord, I pray you'd give our teens boldness, Lord, uh, more than just a faith that they have in private, but, Lord, that they'd be willing to say, I am a Christian. I am following God. I, I'm, I'm going to walk with Jesus. I'm not going to bow down to the things that maybe other people in school are bowing down to and worshiping. I'm going to worship the Lord. Go, Lord, would you give them courage to do that? And, Lord, would you give them the strength and boldness to step out. And Father, I pray that you would help each of them to be rooted in you, God, that they would have a time in your word, Lord, time spent with other Christians, with their parents, Lord, getting in your word, understanding who you are, Lord, and that their faith would grow and that they would understand, Lord, just how much you love and care for each one of them. Lord, help them to be strong. Lord, help them to walk with you every day. Help them to put on the full armor of God each day as they walk into school. And Lord, that they would not only survive there as Christians, but they would thrive. Lord, that they would make a difference. God, I believe there are other students in our junior highs and high schools, Lord, that need to hear about you. And Father, I believe some of our teens, it could be that light in their school. And Lord, I think of our college students as well, Lord, and who within the next couple of weeks will be um, heading back to college, Lord. And I pray the same thing, that they would be a light. And Lord, I also pray as they're 
getting closer and closer to um, their graduation day. And Lord, many of them are feeling pressure of what am I going to do next? Uh, Lord, I pray that you would open the doors in the right timing. God, I, pr I pray that even now they would sense you preparing the way before them. And God, that they would just be so full of your spirit, Lord, just anointed in their place and that they would make a difference. And Lord, that you would help them with their education and growth. And Lord, that this would be a great year, a year they could say that they grew not only in knowledge, but they grew in, in their walk with you, Lord. That's what we pray in Jesus' name. And Lord, we just, uh, we just thank you, Lord, for every family, every person, Lord, that's here today. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the parents of these children, Lord God. And, and I just lift the parents up to you and the grandparents, Lord. I know that the greatest desire of these, uh, of these parents' heart and grandparents' heart is that these children come to learn about you, Lord, know about you, have a personal relationship, you of their very own. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'd just help these parents. I pray your Holy Spirit would just come alongside them, fill them afresh, give them knowledge and wisdom. Lord, we don't know exactly what the future holds in any situation, but we know, Lord, that you do, and you go before us, and you prepare the way. And so I pray that you do that for these parents, and, and Lord, help them, give them knowledge. Lord, I pray that you'd help them as they make decisions. Lord, we know that sometimes as parents, we have to make decisions that are, that are hard decisions. We've got to sacrifice to do what's best for our kids spiritually. And so I pray, Lord, that as they, as they, as they weigh out these decisions, that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would give them guidance and direction, give them the strength to stand under the pressures that they, that they are under and that they face. And then, Lord, I just pray that you would help all of us here today, every one of us, Lord God, to get off the sidelines and get back in the game and to really, Lord Jesus, um, desire to, to, to hear from you and to do what you would have us to do. Help us, Lord God, to open our heart to the voice of your spirit. Lord, I just believe that even this week you're going to lay maybe a person on our heart or, 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 a, or a family on our heart. God, help us to act on and be obedient to the voice of your spirit. Or maybe, Lord, you'll lay on our heart to, to maybe step up and help in, a, in an area of ministry or to teach a class or whatever it might be. But Lord, I pray today that your Holy Spirit will guide and lead and direct every one of those decisions and that you would help us all, Lord, to continue to follow you and to help equip, Lord, those that are coming along behind us to be all that you would have them to be for your glory, Lord Jesus, and your praise. Lord, I thank you for those who have made a difference in my life. I thank you for those here today that pour into me and encourage me. And I just pray, Lord, that your blessing would rest upon each and every one here this morning, that they would know that you'll love and care for them. We love you today and we pray you, Lord Jesus, for, for, for your presence today and for what you're going to do in, this, in these days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Pastor CJ. And before you run away, I invite you to hear the words from our benediction this morning. God, you have taught me from a very young age, and I still proclaim your wonderful works. Even when I am old and gray, God, do not abandon me. Then I will proclaim your power to another generation, in your strength to all who are yet to come. You are dismissed.